I'm really glad you're here with us today. As we begin this new Advent season, uh, the Christmas season, we're starting a four-week series called White as Snow. And that's a great name for this season, isn't it? I was starting to wonder, though, if we were going to have any snow while we had the series White as Snow for a few weeks because we hadn't had any measurable snow. And uh, it's not going to be about snowmen, though. It's not going to be about shoveling your driveway or snowball fights or sledding. This is an important time to talk about things like sin, salvation, and our beloved Savior Jesus. As we get closer to Christmas morning, it's important to look at the eternal importance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Questions like, why did God send his only son? What did Jesus' life, death, and resurrection do for us? What did it accomplish? What's the lasting impact, and why did God choose to use people like us to build his church? Obviously, these are important questions. These are kind of deep, you know, not like the questions that many people ask during the holiday season, right? So I got a question for you. What are some things that people are wondering about with gifts and all during the holiday times? What should I get somebody? Yeah. What else? <laughs> Where can I get the best deals? Yeah, stuff like that. What if I don't like what I get? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, or or maybe things like, will Target ever get those video games back in stock? Right? Or uh, why does Prime two-day shipping keep taking five days? Uh, who's in charge over there? Um, anyway. So questions like this, you know, they, when we say it out loud, it kind of sounds a little trivial, doesn't it? Because these are not the important, important things of life. Uh, these are truly small problems compared to the issues that many families uh, around the world are facing this Christmas, for sure. And that's the reason that we gather together as a church. And that's the point of this series, White as Snow. Because it helps us turn our attention back to what matters most and consider how we might be, personally, a gift and a blessing to others. As we turn our eyes to Christ, we also uh, have to realize that there's something else in the picture, something that none of us want to talk about right now, but all of us struggle with. And if you're thinking those New Year's resolutions, that's close, but that's not quite it. Uh, what I'm referring to here is sin. Unfortunately, it's something we have to talk about if we're going to talk about the amazing reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. And it's great for us. Um, when we open our Bible, we see evidence of Christ and freedom that we have in him and the sin that we've been freed from. So as we begin, let's look back. Uh, let's look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 4. And Isaiah wrote, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Wow, that's pretty heavy duty. Isaiah was one of the major prophets of God, and some other major prophets are like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And in Isaiah 1-4, the verse we just read, God is speaking through the mouth of Isaiah to pronounce judgment and condemnation on the people of Israel. He's speaking through Isaiah to say this to the nation of Israel. And God calls them sinful people who are bent over 
by the weight of their sin and their guilt. And that's just the start of it. Um, he calls them an entire group of evildoers given to lives of corruption who have forsaken their God. They've spurned him. They've turned their backs on God. And all of that in just one verse, I mean, really, from the mouth of Isaiah. And as hard as it is to hear God speak to people like that, it's even harder to acknowledge that it's true. God's people turned their backs on him, and they buried themselves beneath lives of sin. And who are we to think that we might be any different? Today, yes, we have Jesus Christ and the work he did for us, his death and resurrection on the cross. And yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but sin and rebellion are around today just as much as they were in Isaiah's time. Romans 3.23, Pastor Steve uh, mentioned last week in his message, says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's only been one perfect human being that ever walked the earth. And that, of course, was Jesus. And this verse in Romans reminds us that everyone else, like all of us sitting here, there's nobody here that's perfect. There's nobody here that hasn't sinned. So what that means is we all have fallen short of God's glory. So a group question again here, what does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? Disobey, yeah, that you've disobeyed, yeah. Don't meet expectations. It's why we needed Jesus to come, because we needed a Savior that was more powerful than our sin. It's our only hope that we have to live a life free from sin in Jesus Christ and free from rebellion. And that's why Isaiah later says in verse 18, Isaiah 1:18, come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This week's Advent theme is hope, which sounds great, except if we're all falling short of God's glory. How is there any hope for us? You know, I mean, what can we do? How can we have hope and be set free from sin and rebellion? The first thing that we have to do is recognize that everyone sinned. Like we said, everyone's fallen short. We've all sinned. Everyone sinned. Uh, Isaiah shows us that there's this bright, permanent stain of sin on all of our lives before we come to God. And what he's doing, he's comparing this to some things that were in the ancient world. Uh, in the ancient world, the color scarlet or bright red was achieved through dye. And dyed material in the ancient world couldn't be changed. I mean, once you dyed something, that was it. That was its color. The most commonly used dyes in ancient times were found near where they were discovered. This meant that different colors often signified different geographical locations. And colors were mixed from exotic plants or from insects or, or even sea life. And it's interesting, the word crimson actually is derived from the word kermis, which was an insect that was found on oak trees in the Mediterranean. And so what they would do would be to crush those bugs and form that color, that crimson color, and then they would soak the fabric in it. And so what would happen was the fabric would absorb all of that stain. It wasn't just printed on it, it was in it. The color was in the fabric and could not be removed. 
And so the picture is the, of this bright, bright color, a stain that can't be removed, and that's what Isaiah is comparing our sin to. Um, I don't know how many of you use stain removers, but try to imagine the most bright and colorful, colorful stain on your favorite shirt. You know, if you've ever spilled spaghetti sauce, for example. <laughs> don't wear a white shirt, right, <laughs> when you're eating spaghetti. Uh, now try to imagine that there's nothing you can do to remove it. You can't get it out. It's too bright, too deep, and too stubborn. Even oxy will not remove it, okay? That's the kind of permanence Isaiah is getting at. Your sins are like scarlet, he said. They look permanent. They look like you can't get rid of them. And then he says, but they shall be white as snow. So in contrast to this bright red crimson color, he's saying even though they're like that, they're going to now be, through Jesus Christ, they're going to be white as snow. This week it snowed, right, on Tuesday. I mean like eight or nine inches, depending on where you lived in the metro area. And when it was falling, it, you know, it was getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And uh, in the afternoon, when we took our dogs for a walk that day um, in the afternoon, we could see it just coming down like crazy at that time. And the snow in some places was even over the top of my boots, so it was getting pretty deep. And uh, as you looked around, though, I don't know if you were out in the snow or looking out your window then, but as it's coming down, those big flakes coming down, it looked kind of beautiful, didn't it? It was, it was beautiful, very white. And there's nothing that looks so peaceful as that fresh blanket of snow on everything, uh, as long as you are not trying to drive through it, right? So <laughs> uh, thinking, of, thinking of that beautiful white blanket of snow, Isaiah says that our sins are going to go from that scarlet to that pure white. Uh, who can turn that scarlet red into pure white? To the ancient listener, it would have seemed an impossibility. They would have thought, no one can do that. No one can turn red into white. That's impossible. But we serve the God of the impossible. And that's our second thing, how we can have hope in this time uh, from sin and rebellion is to believe in the God of the impossible. If you have your Bibles there and can turn to Luke 1, we're going to start reading in verse 26 through 38. Luke in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who 
was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So this is one of our Christmas accounts that kind of like starts the whole beginning of the Christmas story. And it, we're finding out about Mary. She's a young woman who's engaged to a man uh, named Joseph. And it, she's going about her normal life, waiting until the time she's going to marry Joseph. And suddenly in the midst of all of this, I'm sure she's kind of thinking about things that, you know, what's she going to wear that day and what life will be like after she... Uh, moves in with Joseph and she's just thinking about all these things and suddenly in the middle of all this an angel shows up and it tells us in the scripture she was greatly troubled well I guess and I think probably a better thing would be to say she was really scared wouldn't you be you're sitting there and all of a sudden boom an angel's in front of you and the angel tells Mary she's going to give birth the, to the uh, Son of God, the Most High God, the Son of the Most High God. And he tells her all the things about him. And all these things that he's listing are things that the Israelites would have known because they're things about the prophesied Messiah. She would have known exactly who he was telling her about. And it would have probably been almost overwhelming to hear that. Mary's a virgin, it tells us, which means she's living following the commands of God. The angel said she's highly favored because she's living her life for God and following his commands. So what that tells us is she's not having sex before her marriage. She knows, therefore, this is impossible. How in the world am I going to have a baby if, if I'm like not doing this? And she asks, how can this be? Well, then the angel tells her about the birth of Jesus. And at the end of it, he adds, nothing is impossible with God. I know the NIV translation says no word of God will fail. But you look at like 50 other translations, and including the original Greek, and it says nothing is impossible with God. And that Greek word, when you look at that original word in the Greek uh, for impossible, means to not have strength to be weak or to be unable. And so what the angel is saying is, God is not too weak. God is not unable. God has the strength to fulfill his word. And the God we serve, his power created the universe. He created everything in it and his power raised Jesus from the dead. His power is infinite, meaning there is no end to his power. He is all sufficient, he is mighty and he accomplishes his purposes in the earth. Psalm 93, 4 says, Mightier than the thunder of great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Isaiah 40, 24 to 26 says, God is speaking, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Daniel 2.20 says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. These are just a few of the many, many verses in the Bible that tell us about the power of God, his might, 
his wisdom, his all-sufficiency for us. He really is a God who can do anything. He is a God who can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus told the disciples uh, when he was ministering a way to pray. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he started out what's now called the Lord's Prayer. And I'm just going to read the first couple verses of that. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, shouldn't we expect that the miraculous, powerful God will do here on earth what he's doing in heaven? Uh, if you're struggling with something today, you need to come to God and turn it over to him. Ask him to fight that battle for you because nothing is impossible with God. We need to get a revelation of that power of God that's available to us in our lives and see it working in our lives to overcome sin, to overcome the attacks of the devil, overcome our pasts. God can redeem us. He can heal us. And he can restore families. He can bring marriages back together. He can give you wisdom to overcome the enemy. He can fight that battle for you and win. This week in our Bible study, we were in Joshua chapter 6 and the Thursday evening Bible study, and it says that he called Israel to go out to walk around Jericho all those times, and the last time they shouted praise to God, and the walls fell. Their shouts didn't make the walls fall. They didn't have just that right pitch that it made bricks fall. No, God's hand of power made the bricks fall. Nothing's impossible with God. And what could be more powerful, more miraculous than turning us sinners into saints or taking broken things and making them whole again or bringing lost sons and daughters into the kingdom of God because nothing is impossible with God. And that's... For this reason, that the prophet Isaiah said something awesome like, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be white like wool. Our God is a wonder-working, life-giving God who created the entire universe out of nothing. And if he says he can turn the scarlet of your sins into white, purified like snow, white snow, then who are we to doubt him? And that's our third point, be made white as snow. And what we mean by that is receive the cleansing of your sins that God offers through Jesus Christ. God says here we can be made pure and free of the sin that's bound us up. The unfortunate reality for many of us today is that we're filled with doubts. Uh, what are some doubts that people have, do you think, about their relationship with God? I can never be forgiven. Does he really love me? Yeah. The unfortunate reality is that we do have those thoughts and we doubt that God really loves us. We doubt we'll ever be good enough for him. We doubt that his grace is enough for us. And on and on that list could go. We could sit here and, and just keep saying things that, you know, the enemy tries to make you think. 
and all the things that we have a hard time believing. There's the promises of God, but we think, well, you know, it just seems that his unfailing love and miraculous grace are just too good to be true. But that's kind of the beauty of it all, isn't it? That unfailing love, that undeserved grace, these gifts that God gives us are real. And what better time to talk about that than at this season? If you're here today or if you're watching online and you have doubts, here in good company. Uh, when the angel Gabriel was telling Mary about the birth of Jesus, she says, how can this be? When God commissioned Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, he responded in Exodus 3.11 and said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Uh, he didn't see himself doing it. And he gave all kinds of excuses because he had doubts that God could actually use him. And maybe you've asked questions like that before. Like, how can this be? Or who am I? Or maybe you've asked other questions like, how can you love me? Or even, where were you when I needed you, God? Then there's those of us who feel like the mountain of sin in our life is just simply too big for God to overcome. It's too much, too horrible, and we've gone too far to truly be loved and forgiven. If that sounds like you, or if you have those kind of doubts, let's take a minute and revisit our passage from Isaiah. Don't forget that verse in 118 says, Come now, let us reason together. God is saying, let's talk about this. Let's reason together about the problem of sin and rebellion in your life. Even if it's a big problem, let's reasonably discuss that problem of sin and the consequences of it. You think that that's the end of it? Too much sin and rebellion? No hope for redemption? No. Because God then, in that next part of the verse, speaks into their situation. God's word to them is full of hope and full of life. God says, even if your sins are like this permanent stain, like scarlet, they're not permanent with me because I can make them white as snow. I can forgive them. I can remove them. It's like the magic eraser. Jesus' blood wipes that off of us. When you hear those words today, no matter what place you might be in, you can have hope. In spite of the doubt, the fear, the guilt, the shame, hope can find you right now at this moment. That hope has a name, Jesus Christ. In the words of the late preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said, the Lord does not deny the truth of what the sinner has confessed, but he says to him, though your sins be as scarlet, I meet you on that ground. You need not try to diminish the extent of your sin or seek to make it appear to be less than it really is. It is all that and probably far more. Your deepest sense of your sinfulness does not come up to the truth concerning your real condition. Certainly you do not exaggerate in the least. Your sins are scarlet and crimson. It seems as though you have put on the imperial robe of sin and made yourself a monarch in the realm of evil. That is how a man's guilt appears before the searching eyes of God. But there's hope. Let us reason together today, friends, and let us celebrate the gift that God gave us, that he offers us today, 
of unfailing love. It doesn't end. It doesn't fail. It has no limit. And unmerited grace means we don't have to earn it. We don't deserve it. But we get it through Jesus Christ. And we receive that in the middle of sin and rebellion. And our hope is in Jesus Christ. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, God makes us white as snow. Sin is a pervasive and persistent problem in our world. And no one is free from the damaging effects on all of us. So no matter how nice we are, how much we volunteer, no matter how many verses we learn or memorize, all of us fall short of the glory of God. And today we celebrate that love of Christ. The forgiveness of sins is even more powerful, even more persistent than the awful effects of sin. Last week we sang a song in worship and there's so much truth in it. We sang what a beautiful name and one of the lines in it is our sin was great. His love is greater. As we enter into this holiday season with all its expectations and invitations, let's take a moment right now to consider again the immeasurable value of God's unfailing love and unmerited grace. This coming week, I'd encourage you to take some time and meditate on all the gifts that God has given you. Take some time and bring your current doubts and concerns to God in prayer and surrender them to him. Trust that that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead after three days is alive and well in you today too. The sacrifice of Christ and the power of the cross is more than enough for each and every person. It has no limit. You know, John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world, and what that means is the whole world, not just some happy, lucky people, but God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And you can receive that gift from God today. Though your sins are like scarlet, They'll be white as snow. Would you stand as we close? God says in his word that his word accomplishes what he sends it forth to do. What that means is that his word creates a response. And today we want to respond to the word of God. And so I just ask everyone, just bow your head. There's, there's two things today. One is, are you dealing with doubts about your relationship with God? And if you want to surrender all of those doubts, all of your life, to Jesus, and ask him to give you hope and assurance, I just ask you, just lift up your hand, raise your hand. Thank you. And if there's an area that you have in your life, and you need God to fight for you, you need the God of the impossible to work on your behalf, and you want to surrender that to him and trust Jesus in this too. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you that you are a miracle-working God. Lord, that you take all those doubts, all those sins, everything, we just hand it to you. And Lord, you just clean us off. You give us the strength that we need to follow you. Lord God, I thank you that your word gives power to us as we live and follow you each day. Lord God, I pray that as we 
have doubts, we would surrender them to you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand what we have in you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that in these difficult situations, these things that are hard, that we don't know how it's going to ha happen and, and be good, Lord, that you are the God of the impossible. You can heal our bodies. You can restore families. You can do things in our life, in our jobs, and, and where we live, Lord. You can do the impossible to make things be the way they should be. Lord God, we just trust you with that. We know, Lord, that uh, in our strength we can't do it. But with your strength working through us, Lord, we can accomplish the things we need to do. Father, I pray that um, you would just help us each day as we read your word, as we pray, and we meditate on what you're showing us, Lord God, that we would be people that show others what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would give us hope, that you would give us your peace, that you would show us, Father, what we need to do each day as we follow you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.